Well, good morning. My name is Stu Emmenheiser, and I serve as one of the elders here at Southridge. And you may notice that we're not broadcasting from an undisclosed sweat box this Sunday. When we started this online experience back in mid-March, we were really blessed to have kind of a cool, rustic barn to be broadcasting from. But now that we're mid-July, not so fun. So we've got a place with AC, and we'll be continuing on this week with our message. Have you heard of Chuck Feeney? Both Warren Buffett and Bill Gates have publicly stated that he is their hero. Now, Chuck Feeney is the billionaire founder of Duty Free Shopping. Forbes magazine once dubbed him the James Bond of philanthropy as he spent nearly 30 years quietly crisscrossing the globe trying to give away his $7.5 billion fortune. His goal? To die broke. And people used to ask him, what was it that made him happy? And his answer was so simple, yet so profound. And he said, I guess I'm happy when what I'm doing is helping people, and I'm unhappy when what I'm doing isn't helping people. This was a man who had everything, and he understood that money did not equate to happiness. And I want you to keep that in mind as we talk through week two of Money Talks. Now, before you hit the little X button in your Safari browser and turn me off because you remember that we're talking about money, let me make two promises to you today. Number one, I will not be making a televangelist ask for you to dedicate money to Southridge Church at the end of my message. And number two, I'm not teaching the prosperity gospel, okay? Giving money to any church or organization does not equate to health and earthly wealth. So let me get that out of the way and hopefully we can continue on. Everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern, which makes it their flat out ultimate. And although I have no control over your life, I'm gonna suggest that you flip the script in your finances. This will be complicated for some and simpler for others. See, if our money could talk and began giving us advice, I doubt we would be shocked at what it would say. The shocker is the parallel between what our money would tell us and what Jesus actually said. Remember, Jeff stated the truth. Jesus spoke more about money than he ever did about heaven. And perhaps for most people, there is no money, right? Perhaps because Jesus knew that money overpromises and underdelivers. The promise is just a little bit more and I'll finally deliver. If I just get that bonus at work, we can buy the new living room couch and our family will be happy forever, right? Just a little bit more, and that's all I need. So if money could talk, what would it tell you in addition to that promise? So last week we talked about how money would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. See, money becomes most meaningful when you view it or use it as a means to an end that doesn't end with you. Last week, we were left pondering to what ends do you want your life to be a means? Answer that question and everything, including your money, becomes a means. So this week, we'll say, uh, and we will see that your self-control determines which of us gets control. See, the financial pressure many of us feel is not about how much we make, but what we do with what we have. The pressure we feel financially wouldn't make any sense to most people around the world. How about this conversation you might have with your money? Us, if only I had more money, your money. 
if only you had more self-control. Self-control determines who gets control, who serves whom. With that in mind, money would say, I'm a better servant than master. I'll always go where you send me. This is where faith intersects with finances. And if you're a follower of Jesus, God, your heavenly father, through the Holy Spirit will always nudge you forward. And let's see what Paul said, who started more churches than almost all of the apostles had to say about it. In Galatians 5, 16, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This means to be in sync with. God will nudge you through your conscience. 22 and 23 says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the outcome of saying yes to the nudge from the Holy Spirit. But see, this list is in conflict with our appetites and our desires, including wanting more, whether it's money or stuff. So we shouldn't be surprised that God wants to nudge us towards self-control. Nobody wants to be mastered by an appetite. Besides, you and I already have a master if we're a follower of Jesus. And at the end of the parable we looked at last week, Jesus makes this familiar and brilliant observation in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. See, the word for masters, kyrios, which means one who is in charge by virtue of ownership. It was originally used in Roman and Greek culture and later on in British culture. The point that Jesus was making is that you can't have two lords or owners. Yet many of us push back and say that we don't have even one lord or owner. Matthew 6, 24 says, For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. See, Jesus viewed money or the pursuit for more as his chief competition for our devotion. His question, do you have money or does money have you? You may shrug this off and say, Money doesn't have me because I don't even have enough of it to have me. So who is he talking to? And frankly, it's everyone. It's you and me. Again, everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern, which makes it their flat-out ultimate. And let's be honest for a moment. It's much easier to trust Jesus with our sin, our sorrow, and our soul than our money. And Jesus knew that, and he was clear. If you haven't surrounded what you have, you really haven't surrendered. If you haven't given him to access or given access to what you have, he doesn't have you. You have opted for the lesser master. Jesus addressed this tension and explained the way forward, and he does so in terms that we would all understand, priorities. Matthew 6.33 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. The discipline to keeping the pursuit of more out of the driver's seat is to prioritize something else, his kingdom and his righteousness. God, others, 
excuse me, God and others first, me second kingdom. God's righteousness was on display in Christ who fearlessly and courageously put others first. Want to be great? Follow Jesus. And please understand this isn't an either or scenario. Instead, it's either God and others first or you and me first. See, when we put us first, we come in last. When you come in first, you have a difficult time saying no to you. Eventually, you are mastered not by you, but by your appetites. And deep down, nobody wants to be mastered by their appetites or emotions. So many years ago, uh, about 10 years ago now, Marcy was pregnant with our first child, Tenley. And we had two incomes, no children yet. Things were looking really good. And Marcy had planned to continue working right up until Tenley was born. And about six months before Tenley was born, she unexpectedly lost her job. And we were not expecting to go without that loss of income. Now, I might get in trouble with this analogy, but I'm going to do it anyway. Ladies, when you buy a new purse, you fill it up with stuff, right? And you enjoy it, you use it. Then down the road, you find a nicer, bigger purse. And then you put more stuff in and you fill that one up. Then lastly, you find, heaven forbid, a larger purse that borders on a weekend tote bag. You fill that thing up. It's so big and heavy that it throws off your alignment and your neck and your back. And then your husband is forced to carry it around every time you go out. Now, I don't know anyone that that's ever happened to before, but the point is, is that the bigger it gets, the more you fill it up. Likewise, I promise I'll relate this to something biblical. Marcy and I, as our incomes went up, our spending kept right up with it to keep up with our appetites and our desires. We were right there to keep spending. And when she lost her job and we were trying to figure out what we could cut out, the easiest thing to do was our tithe. Now, no one was going to repossess our car if I stopped giving to the church. No one was going to foreclose on our home if we stopped tithing or shut off our cell phones. But I knew this was an opportunity, and God was saying, where are your priorities? Where do you put your trust and your faith? Now, as a financial advisor by day, I wouldn't recommend this financial strategy, but for the next three to four months until Marcy and I could figure out what we wanted to cut out, how we were going to get back on track, we were pulling money from our Roth IRAs to tithe on my income because we knew that that's what God wanted. And while no one was going to come knocking at the door, we had to make sure we had our priorities straight. Now, we've made a lot of financial mistakes. This is just one time that I think we got it right, and years later, God honored that. And it wasn't always easy, but he always provided everything that we needed. We were created to seek first our creator. When things get out of order, they are simply disordered. So what do we do? Jesus told us we have to put something else first. We must flip the script. This me first living with some leftover giving looks like this. Live, save, give. Welcome to Average. Welcome to keeping up with the Joneses. Welcome to just like everybody else. And if this world is all there really is, then that makes sense. But if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all reliable witnesses and accounts of actual events, 
then the idea of seek ye first living with priority giving looks like this. Give, save, live. You know, Jeff has taught on this before, that during our capital campaign, he and Jenny are committed to giving 20%, saving 10%, and living on the remaining 70%. Because giving first means to prioritize something or someone other than yourself. And by doing that financially is evidence of submission or lordship. Remember that phrase from earlier? Telling your money where to go is proof that your money isn't running the show. Giving first is a foundational habit that will lead to a rich, more rich, deeply more intimate relationship with your heavenly father. Now, Jesus was clear the test of our devotion to God is willingness to put him and others first in the arena of our money and possessions. So if you aren't doing this already, I have a two-month challenge for you, both for followers of Jesus and not yet followers of Jesus. For the next two months, choose a percentage of your income and give it away as soon as you get it. Doesn't have to be Southridge Church. Doesn't have to be any church. It could be World Vision. It could be for a human trafficking organization or the local SPCA. It doesn't matter. The point is to pre-decide to give and to give it away first, off the top. The second part is important as the first. Pay attention to the internal tension that this creates. And third, listen closely to the conversations in your mind. Now, let me let you inside my head a little bit. And I've joked about this. I'm not a professional Christian like Jeff. So, you know, I screw up and I make mistakes. So here's something that's gone through my head in the past. Money comes in and we decide to give. And we send it off. And immediately, I think, that 500 bucks, that 1,000 bucks, that could have bought a nice couch for the living room. That 1,000 bucks would have been a huge start to our family's vacation fund. Right? And then the conversations I start having with myself. World Vision's a big organization. My church, it's just a big work. Someone else will make up that money. They don't need my measly 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks. Somebody else will make it up. And so now it becomes this boomerang effect of good intentions, what I could have done with that money, and why I don't have to do it in the future. Be honest with yourself. Listen to the excuses. Do it anyway two months, you may discover it's not really about the money. Now, something else. It may be what Jesus said, and you may be wrestling with who or what is going to be or function as your master or Lord. If your money could talk, it might remind you, I'm a better servant than master. Now, you may be wondering what these jars are up here. I'm going to slide them around. This is a lesson that we're going to be teaching all three of our children. Now, Tenley, who just turned nine, is our oldest and the only one that really gets it. But these are her three jars. And they say, give, save, and live. Now, every dollar that comes in to Tenley, whether it's a chore, whether it's an um, allowance, or a small gift, okay, it, we kind of exempt the big birthday gifts. But every dollar that comes in, the first 10 cents goes in this give jar. Now, we've let Tenley pick any organization that she wants to give this money to. And, and at nine, let's be honest, she doesn't get out much, but she picked Southridge. So at the end of every year, 
all this money is given to Southridge. And what we explain to her and want her to understand is it's our job to think of others first and to serve others first. Second, we have our save jar. I want her to understand that she needs to save for a rainy day. Right? Good luck telling a nine-year-old about saving for retirement or age 59 and a half. But a rainy day or saving for a large purchase, you know, something that she couldn't do in a single day, maybe horseback riding camp, maybe it's art supplies, whatever it may be, we want her to be saving in here. Now, the financial advisor in me wants to kick things up a notch and incentivize her to understand that companies down the road will incentivize her to save her retirement. So the second 10 cents she puts in here is matched by mom and dad. Every dollar that goes in, mom and dad match a dollar. And when you see the smile on her face, she starts to understand the benefit of saving long-term. Lastly, we have live. The remaining 80% is in this jar. And as long as there's something in there, she can spend it on whatever she wants. But if it's empty, novel concept, she can't afford it. She doesn't spend what she doesn't have. So we want to teach our kids to take care of others first with give, prepare financially for themselves down the road, and live responsibly on the remaining money. To the one who is a follower of Jesus, don't fool yourself. Until Jesus is first in your finances, he's not first. You're not a follower, you're a user. Those are harsh words. They'd be hard to swallow, I understand that. But Judas tried that, and Jesus was clear. I don't want you to miss it. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Two months, choose a percentage, pay attention to the internal tension. And don't miss next Sunday as we wrap up week three of Money Talks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together this morning to gather in your presence. God, Satan tells us so many lies that if we just had a little bit more, we would be happy. And we spend our whole life chasing a carrot at the end of the stick that we'll never get to. And all that has to do is distract us from seeking you first, from helping others in our community and others around the world. Help us to remember that by serving you first and serving others first, that will bring lasting joy and make a real difference in our communities. Thank you for the blessings we do have and help us to utilize them as best as we can. In your name we pray. Amen.